everybody, and welcome to the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast, where come rain, shine, or anything in between, we're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. I'm Ace Edwards, right alongside Connor Baltazor. And, you know, Connor, somehow we did it. Somehow we got to 100 episodes. <laughs> I will never know how, other than the fact that we recorded 99 episodes before this. Yeah, I mean, that's the obvious answer, but... It, the the bad part is to give you to give everyone a peek behind the curtain here. This kind of snuck up on us because like we were cognizant that we were reaching this, but we didn't really like think about it. Yeah, yeah we we did not organize episodes in the best way to account for it, but it doesn't really matter. No, it doesn't really matter. But yeah, welcome to episode one hundred. To give you a brief roadmap for what we're going to go over. We're going to do a very special episode 100 Ask the Alley Cats segment. Then we're going to go into the weekly recap and, of course, the wacky segment of the week. But before we do any of that, this episode is brought to you by the official Aggieville Alley Cats merch store, where you can find such designs as Doomtang Clan, Play Sandstorm Cowards, and Neon Alley Cats. And the promo code KOFFACATS is still live, at least for the next two days. It expires on my birthday. September 15th, 2022. So please be sure to not only visit the store, but use code KOFFACATS, that's K-O-F-F-A-C-A-T-S, to get $5 off your order. Now, the first question to kick off the episode 100 Q&A comes from friend of the show and previous guest, Lucas Cook. Who gets fired first, Neil Brown, Eli Drinkwitz, or Scott Frost? So we're going to modify the question here because Scott Frost is gone. Yeah, uh, this question was to the credit to Lucas. It was asked like less than 24 hours before Scott Frost got fired. Yeah, but it hadn't happened yet. So, yeah. And also the video of Scott Frost sliding down the railing after he left the AD's office was very funny to me. (laughs) Allegedly, that happened in August, which made me very sad. Oh, there is a video of him leaving the AD's office and like driving off and uh like a truck or something oh well i thought he would just slide yeah. down. Uh, it, it, it's significantly less entertaining i will say uh but it's, it's the truth yeah, that's the truth I, I hate to burst your bubble but yeah oh well on, at the aggieville alley cats we only report the facts okay <laughs> the, the aggieville alley facts. facts all right i appreciate the turn of phrase there but back to the question so who gets fired first between Neil Brown and Eli Drinkowitz? You have your answer. I do have mine. You want me to go? Yeah. I think it's Neil Brown. Even though he's got this gigantic buyout, I think that he came into the year on a hotter seat than Drink. It's possible that Drink overtakes him um, just because of impatience and also the fact that he sucks at his job. But... I, I'm still partial to Neil Brown right now uh, just because they've had a rough start to the year. Their schedule is not getting any easier. Uh, I mean, I think they've got Virginia Tech next. Yeah, it's it's a rough season for West Virginia, especially. I mean, their offense is still really good, but their defense is having a really down year, at least thus far. I mean, they just gave up like 55 to KU. Yeah, and yeah I, that's a shame. Yeah. Look, I know KU is better, but they still gave up 55 to KU. Um, at home, yes, at home. 
So I'm rolling with Neil Brown. Although Drink, I would imagine, is not going to be far behind. But then again, his contract's up next year. They may just let him walk, but we'll see. Yeah, that see, that's the main reason why I'm going with Neil Brown. It I think they both kind of came in on equally hot seats because although Drinkwitz is a is a, a media darling in in the KC media, a lot of the alums have hated him for a long time. But I'm going to go with Neil Brown just because Drinkwitz probably just gets, he doesn't get his contract renewed next year. I think Neil Brown's the one. He's probably the FBS coach that first comes to mind with a potential midseason firing, even if they have to eat a big buyout. Which, you know, think about that. Think about the fact that it was uh, him, one other person, and Kleiman, weren't they our final three? Uh, it was Neil Brown, Seth Luttrell, and Kleiman. And uh, Seth Luttrell is North Texas, which oh, okay. is absolutely hilarious to think about not knowing who he is when uh, a year, uh, like four years ago, he was the talk of the town. So, I mean, because he was actually really, really close to uh, becoming the uh, the head coach, but uh, he had a pretty bad year last year, as I recall. Um, they've been wildly inconsistent this year. They're two and one, but all, every game has been a blowout. So really can't gauge anything on them. Kleinman was definitely the best hire of that group, I guess is what I'm trying to say here. Yeah. So thank you, Lucas. Next question is personal friend, James Ritchie. Start bench cut prime Alex Barnes, Deuce Vaughn, or Jax the Seawolf Deneen. This is a really easy question, and I'm really sorry for Jackson. <laughs> this really could have happened to anybody. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the obvious answer here is start Deuce, bench Barnes, uh, cut the Seawolf, Jackson. Yeah, it's a shame. Could have happened to anybody. That's not an indictment of our uh, our legend, uh, Jackson. He just he has to struggle against some really good competition here. Yeah, and it's not an indictment of prime Alex Barnes either because, you know, obviously he's a hometown guy for both of us, but Deuce is different. <laughs> yeah. Now, Alex Barnes, prime Alex Barnes, he was having all Big 12, an all Big 12 season on a, a probably what was the worst K-State team in like two decades uh, in 2018. So... Yeah. yeah, he he was a very good running back, but yeah, Deuce clears. Next question is from Alex Pogue. First one is: If you were in charge of assigning seats in Bill Snyder Family Stadium, where would you seat everyone? Would you change where the students of the band are, opposing fans, give everyone a ranking based on how loud they are, and give priority to the top performers? That that's all the same question. Um, to me, there isn't a whole lot that I would change about true seating arrangements. The only thing that I would change is I would move the opposing fans to the Southwest corner. So the entire side with the student section is on the, on the side of the bench of the opposing team. So that way it just feels even more oppressive. The only other thing that I would do is it would require a little bit of retooling of the stadium itself. So I'm not sure it qualifies, but I would move like the walls on every side in about like maybe a foot or two 
because basically I would just want it to be like Kinnick to where they're that they are on top of you. <laughs> so that way it even feels even more oppressive. But yeah, I would just move. I'd keep everyone else where they are. Just move the opposing fans. Yeah. In a perfect world, uh, I would move the seats closer, um, but that's obviously just not really doable. Uh, you'd have to completely demolish the entire stadium, really. Yeah. Uh, which is not really feasible. So I don't think that's happening, but um, I really like where the students are right now. I like uh, all the other seating. I like your suggestion about moving the uh, opposing crowd to the other corner. I'd imagine the only reason they haven't is just because that other corner gets in the shade earlier and uh, they want to keep them out in the sun longer, I guess, and make them <laughs> tired. That, that's the only rationale I can come with, come up with there. Yeah. Um, maybe, uh, um, install more chairbacks and like do a little bit of seating expansion uh, just to like make the stadium bigger, but kind of give everybody more, a bit more space other yeah. than the student section, of course. But um, I can't really think of too much I do in terms of uh, like GA and uh, uh, where the students sit and whatnot. Cause I mean, the students have um, incredible seats. Yeah. Um, Some probably best seats in all of college sports uh, for across both football and basketball. So Yep. Next question from Alex Pogue is, would you rather be at a game with similar weather to the MU game or a game that is 100 degrees and sunny? And would your answer change if we thought the weather would give us an advantage? If all things were equal and I didn't believe there would be any influence from the weather on the on the field product, I will absolutely take cold and rainy with no delays. I'm not sure if I read that, but without delays was part of the question. I would absolutely take cold and rainy with no delays over a hundred degree day every single time. <laughs> yeah, I'm right there with you um, uh, on that. Uh, I, I hate the hundred degree games. I still go, I still sit, but I would uh, definitely much rather have uh, Mizzou weather than heat stroke weather personally. Yeah. But if it does, if the answer does change, if the weather gives us an advantage, if it, if that comes into play, I would go with whatever gives the team the most chance of winning. Yeah, I, I'm there too. Um, whatever, I, I I'm fine with any weather if it could be proven to me that um that specific weather would give us a better shot at winning. Whatever that would be, I would take that every single week because I want the Cats to have the best shot of winning. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for the questions, Alex. Next is Evan D. Shanelanolak. First question, does Ace still root for Mizzou on a secondary basis? Yes. Yes, I do. Which uh, makes some of the, the Twitter discourse and a couple of... <laughs> it basically, it makes, it makes Drinkowitz's existence more painful for me because I know that he's an awful coach and I know that he deserves to get bullied. But at the exact same time, by extension, it's the university getting bullied. So it's this really bittersweet feeling. <laughs> but yeah, I I choose to just believe that the bullying is all going to Drinkwitz because that's really where it belongs. 
Next question, also from Evan. Did you have good trash talk with Missouri fans you know before and after the game? Yes, to both, actually. I don't know a whole lot of MU fans. Just It's because uh, I don't have a lot of contact with people from where I grew up. But I, uh, I, I did have fun exchanging a little bit of trash talk with my mother, who... If if you know my mother, Connor knows my mother very, very well, you know, really enjoys her baking because she makes really, really awesome cupcakes. She does. It's true. They are so good. <laughs> I, uh, you know, she's able to throw it back right at me with uh, when it comes to trash talk. She's the one who taught me everything I know. But after the game, I was really the only one who could talk. But of course, I'm not going to rub salt in the wound of my own mother because I'm not a psychopath. <laughs> but that's a good yeah, I, I, <laughs> I I had fun with a little bit of trash talk and Connor I'm not sure you know many MU fans other than me uh, I do not really um, I think you might be the only Mizzou fan that I know off the top of my head at least like the only like dedicated like outward one yeah. I'm sure I'm forgetting somebody but I'm not I'm not thinking of anyone on top of my head at least yeah <clears throat> Next question. Early prediction for the end of season turnover margin is plus four right now. You want to go first on this one? Yeah, I'm rolling with plus six at the moment because I, I I mean, it's probably on. It's, it's not sustainable to have four turnovers a game and we're going to lose a few ourselves. Um, If we can keep it roughly one to one the rest of the way. I think that'll be solid. I'd like to see it get to more than plus six, but because K-State has historically had a lot of success with turnover margin and being on the right side of it. So I, I'll say plus six for now, but I wouldn't be shocked if that went higher. But what do you think, Ace? I think I'm going to go with plus three just because I do think that there will be, and it's almost exclusively because I think there will be one game because there's always one game every year where we end up negative in the turnover margin. And I really think that that game will probably have two or three picks slash fumbles. Everything else will probably remain net neutral for the rest of the year. So I'll probably go with plus three right now. Uh, Next question. Is there anything Tang could do better? It seems like he's hitting it out of the park in every aspect, obviously excluding on the court product. I really don't think so. <laughs> yeah, I I can't really think of an area to be particularly critical of him right now. Um, he's been he's up to recruiting or recruiting at a really high level. We've got some really nice transfers in and he's engaging with the student body at a level we've never really seen before. I mean, I don't know what notes to really give uh for for coach tang he's been he's been excellent i i'm really struggling with to think of anything that obviously not on the court that that you know he could improve on because he's connected with the students in a meaningful way especially with the hang with tang thing which by the way i was i was featured in three times which surprised me because there was like I, I don't think they really, this is the one, I, this isn't on him, but the one thing they didn't really capture in the Hang with Tang video, which if you didn't know, it was 
basically Tang sat down on a purple couch in the Bosco student plaza and was just basically an open forum for a bunch of students. I believe they only showed like maybe five or six people who actually sat down and talked with him. That really belies the amount of people that were at that because that there was a, I, I was there. I had to wait a good, like maybe half hour to talk to him. And I was like at the front quarter of the line. (laughs) There were a lot of people and he sat down and he talked to every single one of them. So I, 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 I'm not sure if, I guess maybe I don't have the figures. I'd check to see if Ahern donations are up. Maybe send him more on fundraising because I'm 99% sure that he could talk anyone out of their house. But I- I'm not sure. <laughs> I don't think so. And I think season ticket sales are up. So, yeah, so. and student student ticket sales are obviously way up as well. So he's been helping there too. Um, Truly, I don't know what he what else he could do. I really wish I was on campus for uh, the season uh, to be able to um, um, experience all the fan engagement he's been doing. Um, but I've still been enjoying all the social media uh, that they've been doing as well. Uh, and your recaps as well, whenever you go to something. Yeah. And the final, nope, I lied. The next question from Evan D. Shanalanalak. With this being episode 100, how many more episodes are you pledging at this time? Until we are not able to do it anymore. We've made it to 100, so I don't see an issue, well, so far, with getting another 100. Yeah, I'd say indefinite for now. Um, So anywhere between like 101 and like 10,000, I guess, is probably fair. (laughs) 10,000 we would be doing the, at this rate we would be doing the podcast for I think that would make it 106 years <laughs> human lifespan continues to grow Ace not and mine bro. <laughs> I will be here I I will I will continue in your stead if you don't make it the full 106 you're gonna hold a see. seance every time you want to do an episode <laughs> yes but yeah um indefinitely I suppose is the best answer there I, I don't plan on quitting. Yeah, I don't either. I have too much fun. Same. Final question from Evan is, how many carries would you like to see go to Giddens per game? To me, this is actually a pretty simple answer. I want it to be five or six, and I want them to be meaningful. Five or six meaningful snaps, not just like, okay, we're running out the clock. Who cares? Yeah. I, I'm kind of there with you. I, I'd like to see him. Uh, I'll maybe say uh, I'll modify, maybe say five or six touches because we did use him as a decoy on like, like a fake screen um, in the, uh, in the most recent game. Uh, so maybe we could start using him a little bit in the passing game. I don't know how good of a pass catcher he is, but I, uh, I'm, I, I'd like to see him get more touches because he's been hyper effective. And the touches he has had, I get that some of uh, mo- they're all garbage time. I, I yeah, I, I, I get that, uh, and I get that he's still obviously learning the the playbook. It's still very much a work in progress, but at the exact same time, like I am perfectly fine with, you know, if Adrian Martinez has to turn around and say, "Hey, you're off tackle this play," or "Hey, you're you're a gap this play," 
or, hey, it's a zone run. That's fine. He can do that five or six plays a game. <laughs> yeah, I agree with that. So thank you, Evan, for the questions. Next questions are from The Good Chef and one of the hosts of Cocaine Willie, the good chef, Andre Napier. Through two games, what are the biggest surprises as from a player's point, the biggest disappointment and the biggest wild card? Uh, we'll go through these one by one. I think we'll probably agree on the biggest surprise, and it's Austin Moore. Oh, 100%. Um, he's been so good. If, I never expected him to get a single game MVP, uh, and he had an argument for two, Yeah, um, and he got one from us. He has been so good, uh, unexpectedly good. So I think you and I expected him to be a serviceable guy to step in while Will Honus was uh, injured, but at this point, uh, Austin Moore is the guy. Yeah, no, so, Honus is not getting that spot back. Hmm. So, uh, yeah, definitely biggest surprise for me, at least, is Austin Moore. Yeah, the biggest surprise in a positive way is just because of how yeah. he's been able to contribute. The, the, the other contenders for that were probably Sincere Mason and how well he's come back from a knee injury that, co- that kicked him out of last year. Um, other than that, KT. KT, KT at left tackle being good has been a pleasant surprise. But yeah, those three, the biggest disappointment, the entire receiver room. <laughs> yeah, I, I've been pretty disappointed with the receivers thus far. Um, Adrian, uh, you can make an argument for just because he hasn't produced a ton. Uh, if you want to single out a receiver, granted, it's not his fault from what I can tell, but RJ Garcia, I was hoping to see more of him. That's more of a uh, coaching thing, I think, yeah. than an RJ Garcia thing. Uh, so I, I, I would have, I'd like to see more of him. Uh, so that, that's probably my biggest disappointment so far. Yeah, I would agree. I would definitely, if I had to pick one person in particular, I'd probably go, probably go RJ, but that really is due to lack of other options because there's no one else that I can think of that immediately springs to mind where I am just like, okay, this, this guy sucks, (laughs) Yeah, but it's not because I think the wide receivers suck per se. It's just that I expected a lot more of them, especially having seen what Thad Ward can do with uh with other receiving rooms but yeah the biggest disappointment probably goes to the receivers on the whole biggest wild card i'm gonna take this as the person that we don't know how they perform on a week-to-week basis and to me it's just because we haven't seen this is also another place where you could put rj garcia because we haven't seen him but i'm actually going to go with sammy wheeler because Sammy Wheeler has always been that guy that will show up for like once every two or three games, make a really, really nice play and then seemingly disappear into the aether for the rest of this year. But yeah, I would say the biggest wild card is Sammy Wheeler. Yeah. I'm in agreement with you there. Um, Not seen a ton of him, but we know that he is capable of making big plays. So I, I'm still holding out hope uh, for him to um, 
um, produce at a higher level uh, this year. I'm not expecting earth-shattering numbers from him or anything, but I am uh, I am hoping for uh, for more production. Yeah. The next question from the good chef is over under three and a half games this season with Adrian Martinez throwing for more than 250 yards. Ooh, that's toughy. That is like, that is the perfect over under number for me. Cause if it was one more, it would be an easy under. And if it was one less, it'd be an easy over. Oh, We're actually talking about the questions before the episode, and I still haven't really figured out my definitive answer. You have yours. I do. I'm going to say over barely. Um, I still have faith uh, that he's going to figure it out, and the more, maybe more uh, accurately, the receivers are going to figure it out. So uh, th- that's my view on it, at least. I think he gets just over, although I think he kind of lives in that uh like 175 to 225 range for a lot of the year i think yeah um but i'm hoping to see him get over 250 um four times at least uh it'll be a little disappointing if he doesn't i think yeah so we have a guaranteed 10 more games 11 if we make a bowl 12 if we make the big 12 championship 13 if we make the college football playoff which um, I don't see that happening. I love K-State, but I don't see that happening. Highly unlikely. Never say never, but very unlikely. I'll take it, but... I will hesitantly take... hesitantly take the over, just because that would be one out of three games that I project us playing, because I do project us going to the Big 12 championship, that would be one out of every three games that he ends up throwing for 250 yards, which essentially that one of those would almost have to be Baylor because I believe their weakness is probably in the defensive secondary and not their run defense. Um, Tulane, I could see him getting the permission to let it fly. I'm trying to think of Big 12 schools with good run defenses. Um, Texas, maybe. But yeah, I'll I'll hesitantly take the over on that. Hesitantly. <laughs> it's not something that I would ever bet money on. But yeah, that's a really good question. Uh, the next and final question from The Good Chef is what are your thoughts on the limited wide receiver rotation and substitution? I'm glad you asked because we have very strong opinions on this. I'm so annoyed. I, I really, I really don't like it. Uh, I was hoping for a lot of receiver rotation. We've gotten the exact opposite where we're getting pretty much no receiver rotation yeah. um, whatsoever. RJ is never getting in. Uh, we're not seeing any of the backups really until it's garbage time. And that's very frustrating. At least that's how it was in Missouri, at the Missouri game. Um, I I think we need to rotate more at receiver because if this one line isn't performing, then we might as well see what's going on uh, with the rest of the guys. Maybe there's a reason they're not rotating, but I I, I don't understand why, I, I suppose. 
Uh, we don't do much substituting at all on offense, really, um, this year, at least so far. Um, so I'll be interested to see how that continues uh, down the road, but we'll see. Yeah, I my my biggest takeaway from it is I'm disappointed. I because I really thought that I, I really thought that RJ Garcia would be contributing early. And if they're not contributing in the non-con games and games where we where we have the game in hand, are we going to trust them during conference play? And just the fact that we haven't seen much of RJ Garcia outside of garbage time. I'm not sure if we've seen Jaden Jackson at all. We've seen Keenan Garber only in garbage time. Uh, there's a pun there to be made, but I'm not going to do it. <laughs> uh and outside of that, what the other options are like Xavier Lloyd, Ty Bowman, a bunch of other, you know, like walk on guys. But the fact that we aren't even getting the fourth wide receiver, a lot of snaps that that's not only annoying and disappointing to me, it's somewhat worrisome because I, I'm, I'm trying to be nice, but I guess the the diplomatic way to put it is that Cade Warner has limited athleticism at the wide receiver position. And if there's going to be one position other than defensive back where I would want athleticism, it is probably receiver. So I would just like it to be more of a, a, a two a two B situation with like, you know, Cade Warner and, and Keenan, not Keenan Garber, RJ Garcia, but it's just not been that way. And it's, I can't say it's frustrating because I'm sure if I were, you know, in the coaching room and I heard the reason as to why, I'm sure it wouldn't, I wouldn't be upset with it, but it's still like somewhat disappointing. Yeah. Uh, I feel exactly the same. I hope we see more uh, rotation at receiver uh, come conference play, but yeah, I'm with you. It's a little concerning that we haven't started that already. So. Thank you for the questions. Good chef, Andre Napier. Next questions are from Ethan Brown, Rodeo Cat. If oxygen had a flavor, what should it be? That is... That... that You're making me think. <laughs> I'll I'll say that. You're making me think. Um, See, I, mis- I misread this originally, and I thought it said, what would it be? Which was my, my original answer was Brita water. <laughs> But what should it be? I think I'm also going to say Brita water because yeah. I don't know if I'd want it to taste like something distinctly because I think that'd get really distracting. Either I mean, imagine like walking around and it. like, yeah, imagine like walking around and it just tastes like Alfredo sauce all day or something. Like, tastes like cherries or something. Yeah, that'd, that'd be that'd be really strange and weird. So I'll, I'll say just like good water, purified water that night tastes good it's been filtered see i'm gonna go for something similar just because of how bland it is i'm gonna go with tofu because tofu doesn't really taste like anything so i guess i'll kind of make a lateral move here because oxygen doesn't taste like anything so i guess i'll just kind of keep status quo and make oxygen not have a flavor uh yeah uh, that's fair. I don't really want oxygen to have a flavor either, but if it did, might as well have it 
kind of tastes like water, which also doesn't really have a flavor. But yeah, yeah I, mean, I suppose I suppose we're kind of escaping on technicality here. Okay, I, I so we'll, we'll I imagine that's not a satisfying answer. So if it had to be like a distinct flavor, what would it be? Gosh, um, first of all, I hate that. Yeah. First, uh, secondly, uh, yeah, that's gross. I'll, but... I'll say movie theater popcorn. That's actually really safe. Like that would, because I don't feel like there are a whole lot of people that hate movie theater popcorn. Yeah, um, uh, that's why that's why I went with it. It smells good, really good to me. So, yeah. Um, see, the the problem that I'm running in with is that I'd want it to be something good, but I don't want it to detract from the fact that that something good has a good flavor. Yeah. Um, that- yeah, that, that's why earlier when I said Alfredo sauce, I was like, that would really suck, actually, because nobody would ever have Alfredo sauce again. <laughs> yeah. Because I wanted to go with, like, chocolate or something, but I I feel like that would ruin chocolate for a lot of people. Um, yeah, that would backfire. Backfire a lot. Um, um You know what? oranges let me go oranges citrusy yeah a little Solid bit of, a little bit of citrus there if i wanted everyone to be miserable i'd say lemons <laughs> <laughs> can you imagine if oxygen tasted like lemons <laughs> i would move to a different planet probably but... yeah like, <laughs> there's no oxygen on mars that's the point uh next question from ethan brown what was the first game you two attended together i believe it was the first game of 2019 which was nichols yes it was nickel state who'd beaten ku the year previous yeah uh, that was a that was a nice win as i recall that was a, a nice dominant start to the climate era yeah it was much better than the first game the year after but we don't talk about that no need <laughs> no need Jonathan Adams should be a wider uh, NFL wide receiver. I don't know he why he's not. He really should. He deserves it. He is so good. But thank you, Ethan. Next questions are from Scott Wildcat. The first one was, who is your first celebrity crush and who is your current celebrity crush? Um, both answers for me are Tara Strong, which is a shame because she's married. I never really had one when I was younger. And I don't really have one right now, honestly. I that's just I don't know why. Somebody like it feels like everybody always has an answer for this, but it's just not really something that I've considered that much. Which I know is the most boring answer of all time, but if I said somebody, I'd be lying. So Yeah. I Yeah. Uh, next question. If you could see, that's a really not satisfying answer for either of us, but the, Hey, it's the yeah. truth. It's the truth. Um, if you could see any musical act past or present live, who would it be? We'll actually separate this into two different questions. So who would be your musical act of the past? Um, probably queen queen is a really safe pick. Yeah. Um, either that or maybe like Nirvana in the nineties, maybe. Ooh, that'd be a good one. I'm going to go with Queen just because everything I've seen of them, like every video that I've watched of their performance or like a recreation of it, Raid, I watched Bohemian Rhapsody several times. It, it was, it always looked like a really, like a blast of an experience. 
Uh, honorable mention would be, I think Kiss is still doing concerts. Either that or they had their last one a few years ago. Uh, they'll probably have another reunion tour or something. Yeah. Know, they're like 70 years old. Yeah, I mean, hey, they can still do it. Good for them. That's but, true. Uh, current. I'll go first for Current. And it's going to be probably my favorite rapper right now, which is Tech 9 because I've heard that everything about his concerts are absolutely insane. So, you know, and he, he's gone on record saying multiple times that the way he puts together a concert is how he wants to, he wants it to be more of an experience than you just, Hey, go watch someone perform music. Yeah. I think that's a fair pick. He was in Manhattan like this summer, I think, or last spring. I thought he was in Lawrence. He was in Manhattan. He was out of the hat. I am. I am upset. <laughs> I, I, I would have informed you if I had known that you'd wanted to go, but I don't know. For me, I'd probably it's it's kind of a basic answer, but I'd probably say Kendrick Lamar, uh, just because he's uh, probably the best rapper out there right now. So. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. Uh, what is next question from Scott Wildcat? What is the last thing you Googled? I'm going to exclude me Googling the service that we use to <laughs> to record the episodes. I'm not going to include me Googling Zoom. The last actual thing I Googled was actually two lane formation numbers, not formation numbers, um, defensive stats. That was the last thing I Googled. Uh, for me, most recent thing is K-State mascot, Walking Willie. Do with that information what you will. Uh, before that, it's all law school stuff. Uh, I'm not going to... I don't want to relive it because this is my sanctuary, so I'm not going to read it. But it's all law school stuff, law definitions and stuff. Yeah, and, and we were talking about, you know, just a bunch of... Because we were speculating on a bunch of stuff, you know. I think we were talking about what alternate logos we really liked. You know, one of us said cocaine Willie. One of us said the the walking Willie. I think my personal favorite sailor Willie, but that's neither here nor there. Um, what is your favorite pair of shoes you've ever owned? I had a I... pair of Skechers when I was like four years old that lit up and I'm not a sneakerhead, So this, that's the best answer you're going to get from me. <laughs> I'm not really much of a sneakerhead either, but I do have a pair of Nike Afropunks that I've had since high school that have served me really well. And uh, I still wear, um, even though they're like five or six years old at this point. Uh, but I really like those shoes. Um, other than that, I I don't really like, like buy shoes specifically. I just look at them and I'm like, oh, that looks good. Okay. Like, I I don't I couldn't tell you the names of really any of my shoes really other than those just because I like them a lot, but that, that that's my answer at least. Yeah, not much of a sneakerhead, but thank you, Scott Wildcat, for the questions. The next question is from Roly Poly Coley. Who is your favorite G five team to root for in the past, and who is your G five team you're rooting for slash watching this season? Uh, the past one is actually one I struggled with. My current one is Texas State, and there's a very very <laughs> It's a funny story as to why. Uh, I'll I'll go ahead and tell the story. Um, So this was, I believe, the pandemic year. And it was uh, 2020. The first game that I ended up watching 
uh, that wasn't K-State was Texas State, I think, playing Marshall. It, it was one of it was Texas State playing somebody. And their quarterback, Brady McBride, was starting as either a true or a redshirt freshman. And I'm not joking you when I said that is the worst quarterback performance that I have ever seen in my life. It was so horrible, in fact, that it endeared me to Texas State. And now I am a Texas State fan because Brady McBride plays like Patrick Mahomes, but with negative talent. That's why I love Texas State. Um. Growing up, I didn't watch a lot of G5, really, just because it didn't register with me. For me, it was K-State or nothing. Uh, but I, I guess the closest I could say is like maybe Colorado State, maybe, because they're kind of local. Um, Now, probably like Coastal Carolina. Uh, They've been generally pretty fun to watch the last few years. Um, Generally, some of the high-performing uh, group of fives uh, I've enjoyed. Uh, San Diego State is another one as well uh, that I like. Yeah. Uh, my G5 of the past is probably, it's going to be boring, but it's Boise State. And I still kind of follow and support them to this day, just because I think they're a really interesting team. Honorable mention for current is Coastal as well, just because I really love their offense. It, in fact, if I could just watch Coastal Care, if I could watch two offenses until the day I die, it would be Coastal Carolina's offense and then Louisville's offense, which is a shame because Louisville's offense has one weakness. That is, if you ever get behind the sticks, you die. So, <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, thank you for the question, Cole. Next and final question is from the Lazy Wayne Band. What are your thoughts on the offense and the play calling after not ca- capitalizing on a lot of its opportunities? To paraphrase basically what we said in the MU recap. It's frustrating. It is exceedingly frustrating. <laughs> yeah. Frustrating is the best word there. Um, Cause I mean, it's hard. Like Kleiman said, it's hard to complain after winning a football game 40 to 12, but when you get four picks and you only get, I think 13 points out of it, that, that is frustrating. And that, I mean, we should have, we should have put up like 50 or 60 points in this game and we didn't do that. So I, I am a little bit um, frustrated with that. I'd like to see the offense finish better, more consistency uh, special teams on the field goal team. Um, but particularly I'd like to see us finish drives in the end zone more often than we are right now. Yeah. So that wraps up the episode 100 Q and a thank you to everyone who submitted questions we really we always love doing these. I think these are other than the the game preview episodes, these are probably our favorite types of episodes to do. Yeah, I love doing the Q&As. Uh I love when we get a lot of questions, a lot of great questions. Uh makes life a lot easier uh, for us. Yeah, um, I like it when we get difficult questions too, like what flavor true. should oxygen be? Yeah. Um or over under three and a half on uh, Adrian Martinez 250 yard passing games that's a really hard question because the <laughs> the line is placed perfectly there but yeah. I uh I, I thoroughly enjoy the Q&A's and the community interaction so I'm looking forward to the next one we do which will be sometime soonish probably yeah sometime soon hopefully maybe we'll do a postseason Q&A maybe it'll be sooner who knows 
But now we can get into the weekly recap. But before we do that, the first thing we have to mention is the kickoff time has been announced for Oklahoma versus K-State. And it's a primetime game on Fox, which is a 7 p.m. kickoff, which, wow, that's that's big because this will probably end up being a, a top 25 matchup. And I really hope that the curse does not strike where we go down, get ranked in the top 25, go down to Oklahoma, whether it be Oklahoma State or OU, and then get washed and never get ranked again. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm a little bit worried about that as well, but regardless, you still have to uh, be really happy about that time slot and uh, on that network. Uh, that's great for exposure. Uh, 7 p.m. Fox can't really get much better than that sort of window. So I really like that. Yeah, I, it's really is this this is the first like primetime game on the major on a major network that we've had in a while, hasn't it? Uh, as far as I Excluding Texas Bowl. Yeah. Um, I I don't remember the last time that we had a uh a primetime game. I I I truly cannot. I mean, I've got the schedule pulled up so I can kind of go through and search while you procrastinate. Yeah, I because the main thing that I'm thinking of is not only a primetime game, but a primetime game on you know a major network. We're not getting pushed to, you know, ESPN two, ESPNU, like we're or FS1. We're getting you know, this is Fox. We're getting primetime Fox, which it really is. Like, it speaks to the fact that K-State has gotten momentum. And I, the only thing that I think I'd be slightly disappointed with is that we don't get Gus Johnson on the call because he does, he does big noon. But I'm not going to scoff at, you know, primetime main network kickoff no matter what the situation be. And I can, I really hope that this is, you know, win, lose or draw. I really hope at the very least it's a competitive game, you know, unless K-State goes to Norman and just absolutely smokes them, which I would accept, but you know, Oh man, that'd be, Oh, that'd be a fun storyline. Klanderman outwits the defensive guru. That is Brent Venables. Ooh, that'd be fun. Um, after 20, here, oh yeah, I'll put it like this. I didn't see any primetime major network games since 2017. And once you get to 2016, they take, uh, they stop listing the network. Um, but going off the information that we have, it might be Stanford in 2016. That was a Friday 9 p.m. game. But before that, I am almost completely confident that in 2015, uh, when we played TCU, that would, I think that might've been on Fox. Um, I'm pretty sure. And that was a seven 30 game at home. So you have to go back quite a ways to find a, uh, a true primetime big network game for K state. Obviously a big one that sticks out as well, uh, is 2012 when we played OU on the road on Fox at seven. And that game ended up springboarding us to a great season. So, uh, yeah. knock on wood, uh, we'll have a similar uh, outing this time in a couple of weeks. Yep. So outside of football, moving from one football to the other football, which is the women's soccer team, they had two matches 
the first of which was up against Purdue, in which they lost one to two, despite the fact that we actually outshot Purdue 19 to seven with 12 shots on goal. And the lone goal for K-State was at the 86 minute and the first power five non-conference victory still has found a way to elude us. Yeah. A frustrating loss again. Uh, Purdue gets two early goals, uh, one in the fifth minute, one in the 25th minute. And K-State uh, puts a goal in, in the 87th minute, but too little too late there. I mean, 19 shots, 12 on goal. Uh, that's pretty good. Um, three yellows, uh, three yellow cards, I should say, for K-State. But then Purdue had a red card uh, or a double yellow turned into a red in the 43rd minute. So Purdue was playing with only 10 players for the entire second half, and we weren't able to uh, put one home or put two home. I should say we did put one home, but we should have been able to at least get a draw out of this. So it's kind of frustrating that we didn't. Uh, this was a golden opportunity to uh, uh, finally make a dent as uh, that not conference record, but unfortunately, uh, cats fall at home. Yeah, and that's the second Big Ten opponent they've lost to this year, with the first one being the other Purple Wildcats of the Midwest, the Northwestern Wildcats. So again, it, it's just frustrating having, you know, because you know, I know it's still a young program, and I know it's an unenviable position to build a soccer program from scratch. I, I it's not a job that I would personally want. With that being said, come on, can we at least have one? Can we at least have one non-conference Power Five victory? Um, no, you cannot. Ace, sorry, but shame that could have yeah, happened you, to anybody. It, it, maybe it could have. I don't know. Maybe uh, not. <laughs> probably not. But yeah, the. Not to dwell on that too much, the next game was played up against the Yale Bulldogs, and this was a 1-0 victory for senior night, which is a really, really early time for... Actually, I guess this is kind of the midpoint of the season, but still, it's it's somewhat early for senior night. But, you know, the nevertheless, the K-State women's soccer team won the day at 21 shots, six on goal. The lone goal was Andra Moeller at the 37 minute mark and this was Yale's first loss on the year they entered 3-0-1 yeah um nice to get another home win attendance was allegedly pretty good at this game they had 1300 people at this game um 21 shots for K-State six on goal uh pretty even dispersal between the first and second half nine shots four on goal for Yale uh four corners each um and then K State nine fouls to six from Yale. Yeah, the lone goal, like I said, 38th minute uh, from Mandra Muller. Uh, and that was it. K State again putting up a lot of shots, only getting a few on goal, but lots of shots from K State. Um, again, this is um, a game where you probably should win 2 0, maybe 3 0. Uh, this team really struggles to put the ball in the back of the net. In the past few weeks, it seems like they've really improved at just getting more shots out there, but they've not really gotten much better at actually increasing their score. Um, but uh, you can't complain about a win, uh, especially when you're struggling as much as the soccer team is. Uh, so one no win, you take it and you go home. We take those. We yes, take we, those. We absolutely take those because we are going to need them. 
Yeah. So that pretty much wraps up the soccer cats. I believe they have a game up against Colorado state on Thursday, September 15th. So that'll be all I want for my birthday is a chief's victory and a soccer cats victory. Those would both be very nice, but and for people to buy Merton. No, that's I'm, I'm joking. <laughs> but you but, actually should buy the merch. <laughs> but, but but actually buy the merch. I'm not asking anymore. <laughs> Next up is the Volley Cats, which actually we have one, two, three, four. That's six matches to go over. So you know, strap yourselves in for a little bit of Volley Cats. But the first thing, match we're going to be talking about is the second matchup of the UCF Challenge in which K-State beat Northern Flor- or North Florida, there is a distinction, 3-0, <laughs> and the, the one word that I would say is just, it was dominant but seemingly pedestrian for most players. I think it was fine. Yeah, um, I think that's fair. Um, Elena Baca had a pretty nice night uh, hitting 281. Um, had a couple service errors before aces, which that's kind of the story with this team. A lot of aces, but generally a lot of errors. 14 kills, uh, five attack errors for Elena Baca. Leah Carter, 45 attack attempts, nine kills, seven uh, errors. Uh, then Sydney Bolding had another nice night, 15 attack attempts, five kills, one error. Uh, Mackenzie Morris had 11 digs, 14 for Elena Baca. Um, Elena Baca has really emerged um, as one of the best players on this team. Um, and then again, not a lot, lot considering Aaliyah Carter is also on this team. Yeah. Aaliyah Carter has been pretty up and down so far this year, but, um, having Baca available as another offensive threat has been invaluable. It seems like, um, although I, I did say earlier, a lot of service errors on the season, this game was not so much in that vein, uh, 12 aces to three errors. So a lot better there. Um, and then 12 lock. Uh, attempts only three errors um, and then 53 digs as a team um, but yeah it was a um, pretty solid night uh, for uh, the volley cats they actually hit uh, a worse percentage than North Florida did but North Florida had uh, more service errors um, and 12 receiving errors I believe is what RE is I honestly have no idea um, but they had 12 of them, whatever RE is. And <laughs> um, so Casey was able to benefit from that. Uh, again, you'd like to see maybe a bit more uh, um, f- finesse, maybe. I don't know what the word I'm looking for here is. Um, but they, they a win is a win and a sweep is a sweep. So we take those. Yes, we do. <laughs> Next up was the final match of the UCF challenge. And unfortunately, this one was up against the University of Central Florida Golden Knights on their home turf, home court. And it was also the first loss for the Volley Cats of the year. Ended up 2-3, so it was very, very close. But unfortunately, it resulted, the last game of the UCF Challenge resulted in a loss. The first loss for K-State. Yeah, uh, frustrating loss. You go up uh, 2-1 and then drop two sets to lose. Uh, they won a 1-0. UCF came back in case they won a very hard fought third set, 30-28. to 28. Um, As I recall, that was a big comeback, maybe. Um, I might be wrong, uh, 
but I, I do seem to remember that there was a, a comeback at some point uh, for the Volley Cats recently. That was pretty uh, substantial. Um, but yeah, really frustrating one to drop. Uh, definitely should have had it. Um, that's kind of a recurring theme. It feels like with this team, they are not uh, clutch, uh, I think, is a, is a fair assessment to make. They hit um, okay, although UCF hit better. Uh, as a team, they hit 222. Um, Katie Fernholz had a really nice day. 16 attack attempts, 11 kills, 3 errors. Elena uh, Baca had 50 attempts, uh, 19 kills, 7 errors. Leo Carter had 59 attempts, 18 kills, 10 errors. Uh, and then Sydney Bolding had 20 attempts, 9 kills, 2 errors. Uh, beyond that, um, 5 aces on serve to 7 errors. Uh, again, kind of struggling with service errors. Uh, this year, it seems Lauren Hinkle had 53 assists. Uh, and then uh, Mackenzie Morris had 25 digs as well. Um, this is this was a very winnable uh, match for K-State that they just weren't quite able to get home. Uh, pretty frustrating first loss for the season, but still nice to start 5-0. and um, But uh, again, room for improvement. Yep, room for improvement. But the next match was actually the the first of three, I will say, L's that K-State ended up handing the University of Missouri, and that was in volleyball. It was a 3-2 to two victory, so another close one, another squeaker, but this one was in Bramlage and resulted in a Wildcat victory. Yeah, uh, a 3-2 uh, win. Um, K-State went up um two to nothing and then really blew the third set honestly uh there's really not a way to get around that uh unfortunately um because at one point they were up uh 21 to 15 missouri made a big comeback uh casey really had them on the ropes here um and they just could not get over the hump uh which is super frustrating they could have ended it um I'm pretty easily um but then just could not close it out um earlier uh really frustrating former wildcat uh Anna Dixon uh, was a member of the Missouri Tigers as well um they were mentioning that on the broadcast um but as a team K-State hit 200 um not incredible um a lot of service errors as well 14 service errors to 10 aces uh, Elena Baca had 63 attack attempts in this match uh, to 16 kills, 11 errors. Uh, but Shaylee Myers uh, carried the offensive load uh, for K-State. We saw her perform really well uh, a few matches ago. I can't remember specifically which one. And we hadn't seen her since. But there was not a lot of Leah Carter in this match. She only had 10 attack attempts, 2 kills, 3 errors. Only played in 2 sets. Uh, and Shaylee Myers, though, she had an excellent day. 43 attack attempts, 23 kills, just 5 errors, hitting 4-1-9. A phenomenal day uh, for the freshman. Um, not much else to mention other than that. Uh, Sydney Bolding had a few really nice kills uh, in the later sets. Uh, 27 attack attempts, 10 kills, 4 errors uh, for her. And then Haley Warner had a solid day as well. 33 attack attempts, 16 kills, 8 errors. Um, but yeah, Shaley Myers uh, definitely uh, uh, won the day uh, for K-State. Yep. Also, I forgot to mention that after the volleyball segment, we actually have to do a, another segment 
that uh, the moment I say it, we'll both be face palming for put forgetting to put it on the outline. But um, believe me, no, you, you'll you'll know when we get there. But the next one, All right. <laughs> the next one is the next three volleyball matchups, which was the I believe it was the Chicago Showdown or something to that effect, which was a tournament up against Rutgers, Loyola, Chicago, and St. Thomas. The first matchup was up against Rutgers, which was a 3-0 victory in favor of your K-State Wildcats, which, you know, it's always good to get a Power 5 victory. You know, you know this, applies to, this applies to MU as well. But to get a, a Big Ten Power 5 victory, that's always a really good feeling, especially when it's the first one to start a tournament. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly right. Um, Rutgers, not the greatest team, but still that's a power five win. And, uh, as we have said before, um, no matter what you absolutely would take those, mm-hmm. um, I mean, yeah, you, you go back and look at Rutgers, they're eight and 21, uh, last year in 2019, they're eight and 23. So not the greatest team, but it doesn't really matter. Cause that's a power five win case. It takes that one 20, 26, 25, 19 and set two, 25, 22 in set three but a clean sweep for k-state um hit 193 on the day Rutgers hit very poorly 0.096 uh not a good day at all for Rutgers. um uh k-state Leah carter had a decent day 32 kills there or 32 attack attempts i should say 32 kills would be unbelievable uh 13 <laughs> kills and then eight errors uh, Katie Fernholz had uh, 15 attack attempts to seven kills, not a single error. Shaylee Myers came back down to earth a little bit, but still had an okay day. Uh, 32 attack attempts, 10 kills, four errors. Um, beyond that, again, Mackenzie Morris leading in digs with 17. Uh, 10 service errors for K-State, uh, just four aces. Uh, continues to be a big struggle uh, for them. Molly Ramsey had two aces, but three errors. Lauren Hinkle had one ace, but three errors as well. Uh, been very up and down, it seems like, uh, for K-State uh, with the service aces um, and errors. Um, but, yeah, solid victory. Um, a clean sweep. I can't really complain too much about that. Yep. And the next game is we kind of don't have an explanation for it because it was a 1-3 to three loss of oil to Chicago. I we don't okay i'm not going to speak for connor because connor's a grown man he can do that for himself but i don't really follow <laughs> how good like non power 5 or not not even really g5 schools are in volleyball i don't know if loyola chicago is good or not but this definitely took me by surprise when i saw that we ended up losing 1 to 3 um yeah it it took me by surprise as well. Uh, I do not follow the inner workings of uh, non-Power 5 volleyball. In fact, I don't really follow anybody that's not K-State in volleyball. Mm-hmm. Um, Loyal Chicago 6-4 and four this season. Uh, last year, they were 22-10. and 10. Uh, So they did um, not make the NCAA tournament, though, because they are in the Missouri Valley. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean they're a bad team. 21 and 11 in 2019. So they're they're a solid team, but that doesn't really explain losing by this wide of a margin. Especially when you consider in set one at one time, K-State was down by a margin of 15 to four. 
and it was looking pretty grim, but K-State made a uh, miraculous comeback to win and uh, extra points. But then they get absolutely destroyed in set two, 25 and nine. It's one of the worst uh, single set margins I've seen. Uh, and they lose a really tight one in set three and then uh, set four. They really struggle. Uh, they hit 0.078 as a team compared to 209 for Loyola Chicago. So they get more than doubled up in hitting percentage. Uh, you go up and down the list. Sydney Bolding had a really nice day hitting uh, just under 400. 23 attack attempts, 11 kills, two errors. Other than that, everybody was below a one hitting percentage or below zero. Uh, Katie Fernholz had a zero, uh, 15 attack attempts, four kills, four errors. Leo Carter, 0.091, 44 attack attempts, nine kills, five errors. Elena Baca, 40 attack attempts, seven kills, seven errors, 11 service errors, uh, five uh, aces, um, 19 digs for Mackenzie Morris. Really not a great showing uh, for K-State, honestly. A lot of errors. um, Just reading off of the stat sheet here. Um, And that's pretty frustrating. Um, It's unfortunate. um, But hopefully there's some that you can uh, take and learn from there. Um, Either you can say that this game's an aberration. That is another thing you can say. It might have just been a matchup nightmare for for us, but it it it, it definitely was an anomaly. Uh, from when I was kind of tracking the game, I was very surprised uh, with how it went. Yeah. Then the final matchup for K State volleyball was up against Saint Thomas, which got us right back on track. It was a three to nil victory in favor of your K State Wildcats, and like I said. This was a victory that kind of got us right back on track after a, um, not going to say inexplicable, but a an off day in losing to Loyola Chicago. Yeah. Uh, St. Thomas, not a great team. They're apparently in the Summit League. Uh, two and seven um, after this match. Uh, K-State, uh, absolutely dominant. They hit 358 as a team. Uh, and this one... Uh, and they, I mean, they, they really just handled this one. Uh, Shaylee Myers hitting 474, uh, 19 attack attempts, 11 kills, two errors. Um, then you move into uh, Aaliyah Carter didn't even play uh, in this one. Neither uh, Elena Baca did, but just uh, uh, was further up on the scoreboard than normal. 29 attack attempts, 11 kills, three errors. Uh, Katie Fernholz, uh, 10 attack attempts, six kills, two errors. Uh, just a, an all-around dominant uh, uh, victory here for K-State. 11 aces, two four errors, so they were able to fix some of their issues there. Uh, they were able to empty the bench a bit as well. Um, just not a lot to say here other than K-State really did just dominate uh, uh, St. Thomas, uh, So as they should, so yeah. good for them. Yep. So that pretty much wraps up the volleyball recap. But uh, the one thing that we forgot to mention at the top of the show and the top of the weekly recap, it used to be our signature. It's a new football commit. That yeah. there is. <laughs> and I, I'm I'm a little frustrated that we uh, uh, that we managed to forget. 
That's but, on me. It's my bad. Uh, it's okay. I, I should have noticed as well. Um, so, uh, you know, it is what it is. Um, I, I'm not sure if you noticed, but as like you were in the middle, I think you were talking about MU. And then I was like, huh, wait, there was another L we handed MU. My <laughs> eyes just widened while you were in the middle of talking about the MU. I did not book. notice. I did not notice whatsoever. But yeah, I, well, then I just exposed myself for no reason. But the new K-State football commit is a Kansas product, a defensive end who we've been battling for for quite some time now. And that is 86 point on 24-7, three-star Jordan Allen. And the first thing to say about him is that we beat out some legitimate competition. And it was looking like for a time that we weren't going to be the pick. And yet, here we are. <laughs> yeah. Um, I really, really like Jordan Allen, having seen uh, his film. On 24-7, he just cracks the top uh, 1,000, uh, 928th, uh, 0.8619 composite score there, 86, 24-7 grade. On three is a little bit more generous. Uh, on three, give him an 88 grade. Uh, makes him the 49th rated edge player, fifth best prospect in the state of Kansas by on three's ratings. Uh, he's fifth best in the class uh, on either website, whichever one you use. Um, and I, I honestly think he should be rated a little bit higher, at least in terms of his athletic potential. Because oh, yeah. he's truly he's truly an athletic freak right now. Uh, he's kind of an unstoppable force of nature in that regard. He's got a lot of work to do technically, but he is uh, an excellent athletic prospect uh, as things stand right now. He's, he's like the perfect... Uh, edge rusher uh, for the staff, I think, because uh, he's already 6'4", 240, uh, really big guy. Uh, he's got long arms uh, and really good speed off the edge as well. Uh, a lot to like uh, with Jordan Allen. And then again, he's another uh, Kansas kid. Um, yet another um, ad for K-State uh, from in-state. Um, when it's all said and done, there's a pretty good chance that they're going to have six of the top 10 from 24 seven, uh, pending John Randall fingers crossed, but, uh, we'll, we'll see, uh, with him. And I, yeah, it is, it is, uh, potentially six, but right now it's five. So, yeah, it, you, you really hit the nail on the head. He's six four two forty, and yet he moves extraordinarily fast already his athletic ceiling as a as a speed rusher is is already remarkably high and he joins a class of defensive ends that i'm personally really really high on and yeah i think that he might be the best one that we've gotten so far in terms of not only potential but who we're getting on day one plus he's an ad astra all-star so we're adding another one from that group and you know, it really is just putting a fence around the state of Kansas and only letting people that give you headaches and people who go to their dream schools go. Unfortunately, those are both the same school. But <laughs> but yeah, it really is just amazing to see because this was a recruiting battle that was it was difficult. This wasn't a little nobody recruiting battle. MU was interested. Iowa State was interested. KU was interested. So every every regional school, every regional power five was giving him offers and giving him attention. And yet we ended up 
with the victory, the Wildcat victory, if you shall. Yeah, he held some really big time offers, uh, visited Iowa this past summer, visited Mizzou this past summer. I thought he visited Iowa State as well. He held an Illinois offer, uh, Vandy, Washington, and then notably uh, USC offered him as well uh, this past summer in case they was able to hold them off. Um, so, uh, yeah, and he came and visited K-State on September 3rd, committed just a couple of days later. Um, this was kind of a commitment where it seemed like people in the know always seemed to indicate that it just made it to football season and things could be really good for K-State. But yeah. it's really nice to see him in the win column. Uh, it had been a little bit, it felt like, since we had gotten a, uh, a commitment. Uh, the end of uh, July uh, was the last time. It was a, a Chidio Biazer, I believe, was the last one uh, before this. So it had been over a month. Uh, so it was nice to get another one in the fold, uh, but they're not done yet. Uh, still got some in-state guys um, at large uh, to to work on. But I don't know. Yeah, really, really, really nice recruiting win uh, for uh, the staff. Yeah. So welcome to the family, Jordan Allen. And now, finally, we get to the wacky segment of the week. And that is the question of, if you could pick one non-conference school to play in every single sport every single year, which school would it be and why? I have my answer right off the bat. Is it's it Missouri? Ne- it's Nebraska. Oh. God, no, I couldn't do that to myself. I couldn't do that to myself. Then, but I suppose it's a matter of perspective for you. Like if you'd rather have your two teams, teams play all the time because it's really fun or if you'd rather not because it's stressful. Yeah. It, it, like it, On one hand, it is very fun. I was very excited for – Connor can attest again. I was very excited going into the MU game. But uh, I don't think I'd want that every year. That's fair. That, that is honestly fair. I would take Nebraska because from top to bottom, the only sport that I think we would genuinely get dunked on in every single year is volleyball. But that's because Nebraska is always like number two in volleyball and number one is Wisconsin. So <laughs> I'll take losing in one non-rev sport if it means that we get to beat Nebraska five other times. Yeah, Nebraska's a really good pick. I was thinking about saying them as well. I'll try and think of someone else because uh, might as well differentiate. We do play them in baseball, uh, which is fun. Uh, we're playing them in basketball as well. We played them last year, and we're playing them in the Sprint Center this year. T-Mobile saying, who cares? This is Sprint Center. It's the Sprint Center. Uh, uh, the, we're playing them in the Sprint Center, and uh, I, I'm really looking forward to that. I'm hoping I'm able to go to that game because uh, it'll be after my uh, finals are finished. Um, but there's a lot of really good options for other non-conference, uh, player or teams to play, I should say. Um, but sitting here thinking about it, um, I, I, I rolled through a lot of options here and I, I think I'd really like to, uh, I'm trying to think of something on the spot here. I'm going to say Wisconsin. Okay. Um, Okay. Because there, there's kind of a, a bit of hate between K-State and Wisconsin because they kind of had a knack for knocking us out in the uh, NCAA tournament for a few years. Uh, the Beasley season, they knocked us out in the second round. Same thing happened Jacob Poland senior year. Uh, they knocked him out in his final game where he broke the all-time K-State scoring record, I think. Uh, so it was... Uh, I, I, I There's a little bit of history there. 
Um, Wisconsin dips down to Kansas for football recruiting sometimes too, like Graham Mertz and uh, Isaiah Loudermilk, who I think is in the NFL right now. At least he was for a little bit. He might have had a cup of coffee. Um, but uh, I, I, I'd like to play them because it's a, a Big Ten school that I feel like we have some uh, uh, maybe cultural similarities with, uh, at least in uh, how, how I, I view their football team, a very blue collar and hard nosed, uh, kind of similar to K-State. Um, can't pass the ball at all. You could pick <laughs> Iowa if you want to yeah. maximize pain. You know, more punts than points scored. I I don't know if I'd want to subject myself to having to watch an Iowa football game uh, <laughs> on purpose and actually care about it once a year. Um, but I, I'm I'm partially joking. But they they were a solid option as well. I was trying to think through SEC schools and if there's anybody that I'd particularly want to play. Um. I kind of miss having AM in the Big 12 just because I felt like K-State and AM had a lot of entertaining games uh, where either K-State was blowing them out unexpectedly or it was like a really tight and entertaining game the whole time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so entertaining from my perspective, at least. Yeah. Like, I'll never forget in 2009 when we lost to Texas Tech on the road, like 63 to 10 or whatever, like 66, 10. And then the following week, we beat AM by almost the same score at home inexplicably because AM I think was undefeated at that time too or like um doing well and then they finished uh the season not making a bowl fun fact Colin Klein had a touchdown reception in that game before he moved to quarterback oh. uh the AM one uh for next time we do KSA trivia but hmm. um I don't know where I was going with that honestly I just kind of <laughs> went on the side tangent but it was about AM and uh considering playing them um, I'll leave them to the wayside because they're kind of cringy, honestly. But um, I don't know. But Wisconsin, I, I, I like them here. All right. Well, that's all for this episode of the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast. Thank you all so much for listening. If you want to contact the show, you can follow us on Twitter at Aggieville ACATS. That's capital A, capital A, and capital C and Cats. If you want to email us, we're AggievilleAlleyCats at gmail.com. If you want to follow us on a more personal note, I am at ACEdward00. I am at Connor Boutsor, capital C, capital B. And if you're looking to support the show financially, please be sure to check out the official Aggieville Alley Cats merch store, where you can find the staff-approved design of Doom Tang Clan, play Sandstorm Cowards, and Neon Alley Cats. But most importantly, thank you all for listening to this episode of the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast. And happy 100 episodes, where come rain, shine, or anything in between, we're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. Stay safe, Alley Cats.